The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Hello, and today is the big day. You are hiring a well-vetted, steep-salaried C-suite executive, and not only that, you're staffing a business-critical new department. Of course, your HR folks provided you with rock-solid validation that these are great human capital investments. Well, they did, didn't they? Well, maybe they didn't. We're going to find out from our guest today. Burson and Associates founder and CEO Josh Burson is doubtful. He says one of the biggest opportunities for HR to drive value in the coming years is talent analytics. But HR teams are absolutely not ready. Those are fighting words. We'll find out a little more from Josh. He adds the systems vendors are not helping much either. Wow, he has a lot to say. Success factors Peter Howes is in agreement. He says most HR practitioners have limited ability to interpret workforce analytics and reporting. Interpreting workforce analytics is not taught in university HR courses. It's necessary for companies to create a C of E, that center of excellence, and around workforce analytics. We'll be hearing from Peter in a few minutes. And Wharton professor Peter Capelli adds, metrics are killing HR because all we've come up with are cost items and we manage what we measure. So join us for the next hour for more of their wisdom individually and collectively on HR analytics. How's your human capital investment paying off? Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for joining us for the next hour, and I'd like to introduce you briefly to our guests. Let me tell you a little bit about them. You'll hear their voices say hello, and then we'll dive deep into their quotes. Peter Capelli is the George W. Taylor Professor of Management at the Wharton School and Director of Wharton Center for Human Resources. HR Magazine named him one of the top 20 international thinkers. That's really big, Peter Capelli. I'm impressed. And he earned the International Association of Corporate and Professional Recruiters 2009 Pro Award for contributions to HR. Just say hello, Peter Capelli. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. We have so much to talk about, and especially some news items you just made me aware of. Josh Burson is the founder and CEO of Burson Associates. Josh provides research and advisory services for learning and HR decision makers, seeking product and market data, insights on trends, and expert advice on enterprise learning and talent management. In 2020, he was named HR Examiner Magazine's among the top 100 influencers in HR, as well as the top 25 online influencers in talent management. Welcome, Josh Burson. How are you? Great. Thank you, Bonnie. Glad to be here. 
Wonderful. Glad to have you join us. I know you're all busy people, so I'm, I'm thrilled that you're taking the hour with us. Peter Howes has 40 years of experience in HR as a practitioner, academic, and consultant. For the past three decades, he has specialized in workforce planning, reporting, and analytics. He developed the Info HRM program. Am I pronouncing that right, Peter House? Yes, that's fine, Bunny. Okay, a membership-based program, and he has a great accent, that provides 160 global companies with a workforce planning, reporting, and analytics solution that complements the functionality of their HRIS. And in 2012, Info HRM was acquired by Success Factors, and you know the rest of that story. Hello, Peter House. How are you today? Hi, Bunny. I'm fine. Good. Glad to have you on board. Okay, let's do a deeper dive into your quotes. I'm going to start out with the first quote I mentioned, Josh Burson. You say one of the biggest opportunities for HR to drive value in the coming years is talent analytics. But here's the big headline from Josh Burson. HR teams are absolutely not ready and the systems vendors aren't helping. Josh, talk to me. What do you mean by this? Well, what's really going on in business, as most of you probably know, um, talent is now one of the biggest business challenges companies have. And um, if you look back at the idea of measuring and analytics in business, the reason we have financial measurements and the reason we have customer measurements and marketing measurement systems is because companies realized those were problems and they needed to put measurements in place. HR traditionally was really a compliance function in most companies, and it really grew up out of a role of you know making sure people get paid and making sure that the company stays out of trouble. Now that talent is the problem, we have companies have to build systems to measure talent. It's its readiness, its performance, its mobility, and how to you know improve and acquire talent. And unfortunately, if you look at the skills in the HR function, what our research shows is that 56% of HR uh, organizations rate themselves poorly in the ability to analyze data, and only 6% rate themselves high. And the reason for that is most people who went into HR went into it because they like people. They don't like numbers. And so this, this industry is going through a really interesting shift as the HR profession gets much, much smarter about how to deal with data. And many of the tools and and um, you know services out there which are becoming available are going to are going to fall upon HR organizations that have to upgrade their own skills to really take advantage of them. And Very we're interesting, Josh. That happening. Very interesting. You know, we talk very often on this show because we're called Coffee Break with Game Changers. We talk about the culture changes that have to happen within organizations, whether we're talking about analytics, mobility, big data. The people, it's all about people. And you're so right. HR might have started in HR because they like working with people. I want to help people. I want to put the right people. It's It's a beautiful thing. But now it's business. And business means numbers and reporting. And then this big A word looming analytics. So you're right. So is this a culture change they can cope with? Is this a question of, of just getting, I hate to say this, but yeah, younger, new I, HR I, people in? I believe so. I mean, I think there's a, there's a subgroup within the HR community of, of statisticians, and they're typically were called IO psychologists. And so there are numbers people in the profession, and they're going to have a much bigger role going forward. And, and CEOs are pushing HR executives to do this now. So the word is on the street that this is the future of HR, and I think it's only a couple, over the next two or three years we're going to see major transformations in what HR people do, the systems they use, how they make decisions, and how they support the business with this, um, this focus on, on measurement and science. 
Thank you very much. And let's turn to our next quoted person in my intro, Success Factors, Peter House. Peter, you say most HR practitioners have limited ability, which is really segue to what Josh was talking about, to interpret the analytics and reporting. It is not taught, taught in university HR courses. So my question to you is, now that we're aware of this, why isn't it being taught? Shouldn't this be a new stream of education for them? Or tell me, how would they get this knowledge? Well, I think there's a number of issues here, Bonnie, but just to start at a high level, let me give you one example of why I think, you know, we just don't have that capability in the HR community. I think most of the analytics, and, and I'll start with most of the reporting of workforce reporting that happens in organisations, ranges from what I call being useless to dangerous. I think most workforce reporting in corporate America and around the world is useless because people predominantly just report and never make any decisions on that data. I think that if they actually made decisions on that data, it has a high potential of being dangerous in that I believe most probably the wrong decisions would be made. The reason I'm saying that is that I, I see that most organisations only report aggregated data where the workforce of all large companies is very heterogeneous, it's not homogenous. So to me, workforce analytics and workforce reporting is all about segmentation. We need to segment the variations in the workforce and not deal with aggregated information. So if an organisation had, for example, 12% voluntary termination rate, I mm -hmm. would imagine that they got large chunks, 40% of their workforce, where it's under 5%, and chunks where it's under 2%, where it's far too low, and there will be pockets where it's 20, 30 40% even, and most organisations can't get the differentiation between the very low wave turnover and the very high turnover and the characteristics of those groups. They just report more aggregated data. Thank you, Peter. Good perspective on that. You know the old, I can't remember the exact phrase, something like statistics lie. Well, it, we may have the numbers, but it's how we look at them, how we phrase them, how we group them, and how we report them that gets to the truth of what they really mean. And let's turn before our break to Josh. Josh, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, we'll get Peter Capelli on as soon as we can. So let's talk a little more. Let's talk about his quote. And when he comes back, we will get him. So metrics are killing HR. Is this more of what we're talking about, metrics analytics? Yeah, Tell but, me. Well, the problem, yeah, the, the, the problem. The problem is the history of HR metrics, there is an industry, there's a history to this, is to measure things like how much did it cost to hire somebody? How much money are we spending on this person versus that person? Is this person at, you know, compa ratios, um, turn up, basically backward-facing measures, measures mm -hmm. that look at, you know, essentially like how much gas is in the tank. That doesn't really tell you how to make the car go faster or where the car could potentially perform better. So there's a whole bunch of data being collected by HR that's kind of interesting from a compliance or cost standpoint, but not useful from a performance standpoint. So um, what the, the current sort of space that Peter, you know, is, is very much an innovator in helping uh, improve is really one of, you know, collecting historic data um, about mm -hmm. the expense of people and not necessarily taking advantage of all the performance data. And that's really where the analytics market is moving. 
Very interesting. Also, I think we have Professor Capelli back. Peter, are you with us now? Yep, yep, back. Okay. You can take, Josh was uh, taking your quote, and we were just expanding on oh, metrics and analytics. Sorry, so Peter, why don't you? I, 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 I didn't <laughs> intend to. <laughs> no, it was no, my invitation. It was my invitation. So, <laughs> that all sounds right to me. Good. So, Peter, why don't you take us to the break? We have one minute, and why don't you give us your take on what you're saying, metrics are killing HR. I know you're agreeing with Josh, but I'd like to hear your POV. Well, I think it's really this point that we manage what we measure and that the uh, folks have been collecting measures on costs, and and this wasn't their own idea. I think it was foisted on them by the CFO folks. So that's what we measure is we measure costs, and as Josh was just saying, one of the things we don't know uh, is very much about benefits. So uh, I have a book out now that seems to be getting a fair amount of attention called Why Good People Can't Get Hired. Um, and uh, it's this problem, you know, of employers saying they can't find anybody to hire. Um, and one of the problems there is they've got no idea what it's costing them to keep a position open. And in most accounting systems now, it looks like they're saving money by not filling positions because they can measure the cost, but they can't measure the benefits of having an employee, the performance issues. So they, you know, there's just no reason to hire anybody because it looks like we're, we're saving money. And it's a great example of this problem of having incomplete measures uh, may actually be worse for them than having none at all. Uh, but I think both folks, Peter and Josh, are exactly right about all these points. The HR folks are not uh, very sophisticated in this arena. The people who are good at this are people in supply chain management. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the HR folks are the most difficult to talk to about this, I think, because of uh, this lack of facility with the, with the numbers. Very interesting. Uh, what, what you just said, and we are ready for break, but what you just said was very scary to me, and I don't know if this is a, a well-kept secret or if everybody knows that HR is keeping positions open rather than filling them on purpose. We can discuss that in the next part. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. And guess what's coming next? We're going to find out from my three esteemed guests what they're drinking today. I don't know about you, but I need a cup of something. We'll be right back with our roundtable after the coffee drink announcement. So don't even think of touching that mouse. Take it away, Brad. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com we hear it and read about it every day in the news stock prices plunging home prices receding and unemployment growing how can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy tune in to turning hard times into good times with host jay taylor Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is marketing making us ill? And if it is, how can we heal humanity and the planet by changing 
the way we sell. This is Lynn Serafin inviting you to join me and a great lineup of thought leaders in business, media, and marketing on The 7 Graces of Marketing, Mondays at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. So let the dialogue begin. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we are back, and it's time for our coffee break. So Josh Burson, CEO and founder of Burson Associates, what are you drinking today? What energizes you or relaxes you? Well, I happen to live right near the founding location of Pete's Coffee out in California. So I have an unfortunate addiction to coffee, and I'm drinking um, at the moment a, a cup of Pete's Coffee with about four teaspoons of sugar in it to keep me awake. And that, that's my thing in the morning, and hopefully my diabetic level doesn't reach some stage that the doctor tells me to stop. But that, that's what I'm drinking today. Sounds to me like you're having coffee with your sugar today, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a flavor to your peats? We love to know. Is there a particular, do you just I, say, I tend what do you to drink say? what's called Sumatra. Sumatra okay. seems to be the highest caffeine level. That's, I've asked the peats people, and that's the one that, I, that gets me going in the morning. I'm glad they're helping you out with your addiction. That's great. And Peter Howes, what are you drinking today? Is it tea, perhaps? I hear the accent. Well, Bonnie, it is. Let me say it's totally boring, nondescript tea, which is that's basically all you get in North America. Um, this country has no idea how to do tea. There is absolutely no concept of boiling water. The best you can do is get hot water. And there is no concept of using preheated fine bone china to minimize heat dissipation. All you get is either incredibly thick china that's cold or some paper cup. So one of the things I don't look forward to coming to this country is drinking tea. <laughs> well, I am so sorry. I must tell you, Peter Howes, you are not the first person to say that on this show. So we, are, we might have to do a special segment on the proper way to brew tea. Mm-hmm. I love the fact of the thin china cup and, and the superheated water and all that. So thank you for the lesson in tea drinking. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that a lot. And Wharton Professor Peter Capelli, what are you drinking today? Anything really interesting? Uh, well, we've got a, a difficult choice if you're an economist here because the school now provides us with free espresso. Uh, I think this is no doubt uh, in order to improve productivity in the place. Um, the problem is the espresso is not all that great. So um, the, do you get free espresso? Do I walk across the street to the fancy-smancy uh, fancy kind of uh, coffee truck? 
uh, which pulls very beautiful shots of uh, of espresso, but you pay three bucks for that. So uh, I'm in a quandary here, you know, uh, <laughs> cheap but not so good, uh, or very good, but it, um, <laughs> you have to pay for it. So that's I, I'm stuck. I think a, a lot of corporations, <laughs> a lot of a lot of big companies are providing that free OMG. Is this really what it's supposed to be? Drink, and a lot right. of people are opting for that. I agree. I have to read our tweets today. Let's see. Jeff is firing up the machine to brew some dark espresso while listening to. Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thank you, Jeff. And Malcolm is loving his Equator Coffee's Fair Trade French, his comfort in a cup. And the beautiful Margot says she is drink. let's see, HR plus analytics plus pound sign SAP radio and Nespresso. She loves her Nespresso decaffeinato lungo. So we have our coffee orders for today. So let's get back to business. And thank you all three for your very colorful coffee and tea stories. I appreciated that very much. It is interesting to know. And by the way, they don't let me drink caffeine on show days. So it's just water for me. Smart water. Hopefully that's working. So let's go to Josh Burson. A little birdie told me before we get to our main agenda, there's an organization called the Society for Human Resources Management, familiarly known as SHRM, and that something is in the hot news feed about SHRM. Do you want to give us a little bit of background on that? Please. Yeah, there's, you know, one of the things that all HR professionals have struggled with as long as I've been involved in this is, making the information that they capture relevant to the financial people in their businesses. Because ultimately, you know, the financial guys pretty much call the shots. And in the financial, you know, part of business, there is a generally accepted accounting principles. And so any CFO can go from company to company and look at a company's financials and say, okay, you're good here, we're bad here, this is going well, this is not. And in HR and training, there is no equivalent standard. And so there's a group of professionals, which I happen to be a part of, that have been trying to figure out how to put together some form of standards for measuring talent, not necessarily how to measure it, but how to report on it so that just like generally accepted accounting principles, there would be a standard way from company to company to look at a company's investments and status of their people. And this is starting to take hold. It's called TDR, Talent Development Reporting. And it's being, um, and, and, and SHRM, which is the, is the big industry association for the HR profession, you know, has this as part of one of its initiatives, as well as some other initiatives to develop reporting standards. And I think there's some potential over time, it won't happen overnight, that mm-hmm. these kinds of standards will get adopted by companies and hopefully we'll have some standard way of measuring talent, not just measuring spending on people and the number of people and the turnover, but somehow measuring how well people are developed, um, what their skills are, um, you know, what their, you know, other areas in talent management, which are, which today are, you know, pretty much up to the individual company to figure out how to measure. And that's what's going on. Okay. Who else wants to chime in on this SHRM news? Uh, Peter House, Peter Capelli, who wants to take this? I think uh, it's Peter Howes here, Bonnie. I think um, part of the challenge that we have is really moving the whole profession along a continuum because when you, jo- Josh was talking before, he talked about, you know, we're often looking at historical measures, you know, and most measures are one figure divided by another, you know, absence rates, um, turnover rates, etc. I think one of the challenges we have both with SHRM is to get standards of definitions of the underlying information. But then I think we need to move towards more index measures rather than just ratio measures because I think 
index measures tend to be more predictive, but there are absolutely no standards. So an example of an index measure to me would be managerial bench strength. To assess managerial bench strength, you don't just divide one figure by another. You know, they've got multiple components, and we're going to give weighting to factors such as percentage of jobs to which there's a replacement candidate, percentage of jobs with a replacement candidate ready now, average performance and potential rating of replacement candidates, etc. So, you know, one of my aspirations is that we move... In addition to having ratio measures, we also move towards index measures. Okay, and I want to ask Peter Capelli, you, you told me before the show, you said let's not be perfect, let's not let perfect be the enemy of good in trying to get better. Does this apply across the board to everything we're talking about? Let's just keep, as Peter Howe said, let's keep it moving on a continuum and approve it, improve it. I think that's right. Uh, I think the, you know, the problem right now, as you sort of said in the in the beginning, is that um, the HR community is pretty resistant to this, and for the most part, mm-hmm. the metrics they're using are ones that have been foisted on them by by other folks, and as a result, they're not looking at things like uh, the benefits uh, and performance of individuals. And I think often they're afraid because we can't do this very well. Uh, they're afraid to to try to do it at all. And, you know, I think that's probably not uh, helpful. I think they have sort of false modesty there. The rest of the business community is not very good at these things either. You know, if you look at, for example, our marketing colleagues, we should take some lessons from them about their willingness to take credit for things. (laughs) You know, there's certainly a sense that um, they take credit for innovations, you know, anything that happens to uh, uh, sales, you know, they're willing to say, yeah, this is a result of something we've done. So. I think we ought to try, at least try with some of our measures. The reason is if we don't, um, we've really got uh, a terrible problem where all we got are cost measures and that's all that gets managed. I think part of what's happened to HR now is that we've gotten rid of so many people out of the function uh, that there's mm-hmm. almost nobody there to do any of this stuff. So, so they have to rely on vendors to, to do anything like this for them. You know, I should say, if you look on the production side, the supply chain management side, um, these techniques are pretty well developed. Um, and the, the problem is, it is kind of hard, though, to actually execute them. So even on the supply chain side, most companies outsource them to somebody else to help them figure out, you know, for example, what's the cost to them of inventories, which is kind of the equivalent of a deep bench of talent on the human resource side, or what's the cost of shortages, which is exactly the equivalent of keeping positions unfilled. Um, You know, they kind of outsource it, but uh, the HR people, you know, even as Josh, I think, was saying maybe earlier, the vendor community is not quite there to provide this stuff yet. Um, When I talk to folks about this, so a few years ago I wrote a book about this stuff, about uh, trying to apply supply chain and some of the operations techniques to simple HR functions. Um, the CFO folks get this completely. They're perfectly happy with it. Line managers say makes perfect sense. The HR folks are the toughest audience to talk to about this. And I think the reason is it's, it's pretty threatening. And, you know, they're going to need some help to get better at it. 
I have a question for all three of you. We have uh, just a minute before break. Uh, who is going into HR today? Are they young? Are they old? Are they more females, more males? Uh, do they have many advanced degrees? In other words, it, it's interesting to me that HR is doing its own hiring. Somebody is hiring HR people and applying the same talent management perspectives and measurements on the, the future potential success of the HR people they bring in. So that's, that's almost like to me looking in the mirror and seeing the mirror yeah. keeps going. So uh, who is who is going into HR today? Are they still people who love people, to quote Barbara Streisand, or who are well, they? I, I can tell you quite precisely at least what's different about the people who are heading HR, because we did a study mm-hmm. a little while ago, and we looked at the heads of human resources for the Fortune 100 companies and compared it to a generation ago. And, right. Um, uh, basically, it's a little more. Or we, I'm sorry, we compared it to um, uh, I think about 10 years ago, and uh, it's actually more internally focused now than it was 10 years ago. That it was more likely 10 years ago that you were going to get people from other functions coming into the top HR role than it is now, which is a surprise. Um, it is people who have more backgrounds in talent management than in mm-hmm. other areas, uh, which reflects the rising importance of that. But, you know, it's not, uh, at least at the top jobs, they're not reaching out the way they used to in the big companies a generation ago, you know, when you rotate through these different management fields. That doesn't seem to be happening. It's sort of becoming more a profession, I guess. Interesting. Well, that's probably a good thing. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We've just finished our first half. There's lots more with my three special guests, Josh Burson, Peter House, and Peter Capelli. We'll be right back. And I want to talk about my opening question. How do you know that HR has advised you properly when you're going to hire somebody at the tippy top of the pecking order in a company and when you're staffing a department. We'll talk about reliability of analytics and where is this going. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse or that dial or however you're listening. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP to speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are, and I want to ask my three esteemed guests, Josh Burson, Peter House, and Peter Capelli, about the realities of hiring today. I don't know whether it's a science or an art or a combination or some kind of alchemy that's happening in the middle. But let's start off with Josh Burson from Burson Associates. Have we nailed it down yet, Josh, where my opening question was, you're ready to hire somebody at a very steep salary for the C-suite. Do we know? Do we know what we need to know that this person is or isn't going to succeed? And how long do we give them to succeed? From your well, vantage is, point, at Burson. Yeah, this is this to me is one of the biggest opportunities we have to use data. So let me give you just one example. So there's Please. a very well-known large insurance company that had a commonly held belief that the best insurance representatives, salespeople, would come from top universities and have good grades. So they would screen their candidates based on the credibility of the university and their grade point average. And they were doing this for years. And then they did a little bit of statistical analysis, and they actually looked at the data of the, of the first and second year sales performance of all the people they'd been hiring and correlated that against a whole variety of factors, including where they went to school and what their grade point average was. And, of course, what they found was that grade point average and school credibility had literally no, almost no relationship to their success as a salesperson because this was a belief, but it was not a belief that was tested by data. So they then hired, built a little analytics group and had a statistician do a little bit of work and actually found that the people that were succeeding in that job had come from, had had some experience, they had a whole bunch of things, they found a whole bunch of things about them, but the most important thing was that they had had experience selling highly complex things like real estate. They had, they had come from real estate sales. They, had, they also found that people had, who had sold um, cars and other types of products were not successful. So they suddenly changed their sourcing strategy and their assessment strategy to look for people who had particularly had some level of experience selling those types of products. This is such an obvious thing when you think about it in retrospect. But without the data their commonly held beliefs may not have changed. And that's what's going on in companies now. I mean, there was a wonderful article yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, how Orbitz found out that if you use a Mac 
you are likely to pay 20% more for a hotel room than if you use a PC. And that's not intuitively obvious, but they found that out through data. So now when you go to orbits, if you happen to be on a Mac, you're going to be recommended hotel rooms that are a little more expensive if you happen to be on a PC. That kind of data is sitting out there, and you don't have to build a whole big fancy HR data warehouse to do that. So, so I think those are the kinds of things that companies can do almost immediately to be able to hire more, um, you know, higher performing people. And frankly, it's just as good for the job candidate. Uh, when you're out there looking for work and, and it's very frustrating and very difficult, you would like to find a company that can, you know, screen you in a way that when you do accept a job, it's the right job for you. So, so this is the kind of thing that helps both the employer and the candidate. And Bonnie, if Absolutely. I could just jump, jump in Please. on that one. I, I think yes. the reason this is uh, so disturbing uh, is that, uh, you know, people have been studying this question, what predicts good job performance mm-hmm. in new hires, since World War I. And there's a ton of knowledge about how to do this. For example, the story Josh just mentioned about grades not predicting job performance, there's a bunch of studies that have shown that for probably 50 years. Uh, And the people who are doing the hiring aren't even aware that most of these questions have been answered, uh, at least to some extent, um, you know, already if you just read the best practice literature in the field. So, you know, we said before that HR is becoming more professionalized, but uh, the knowledge base among people doing particularly hiring seems to be astonishingly bad. And you could get really good at it uh, just with really simple things. The thing that always blows me away is that most of the companies that are hiring people by flipping coins are very sophisticated about how they buy office stationery and how they buy uh, parts for their assembly operations. They know everything about the different suppliers. They know everything about the quality. And that they're hiring people, which is certainly the most important investment, by flipping coins. Here's an example of a, a company that does this pretty well. Um, and by the way, the best companies that are doing this stuff, I think, are in India uh, because they do a lot of hiring and they're pretty sophisticated because they got big talent needs and they don't have a lot of legacy systems. So they took engineers and figured out how to do this. Tata Consulting has got every school they've ever hired from ranked in terms mm-hmm. of What's the quality of applicants we get from this school? How long do they stay with us? How good are the uh, people in terms of their job performance when they come in? And what do we have to pay them in terms of salary? And they continually resort where they're going to go based on that assessment, which they update all the time, of what schools are producing the best candidates for them. Very, very interesting. Speaking of salary, I just want to interject. We did a show on HR here a couple of weeks ago, and one of the predictions about the gap in skilled labor being uh, people who are savvy and in the cloud and, and the, the great divide of who's at the bottom and top of the work chain, uh, one of the comments was that people will forego a little extra at the top of the salary if they're working on cool stuff cool projects for cool companies. So is that being factored into the hiring? In other words, what are we offering this person, not just what are they going to do for us? Who wants to take that one? Well, Bonnie, I'll come in and just make a comment Please. there. And I think it ties back to Peter Howes here. It, it mm-hmm. ties back to you know your original question about are we hiring the right people? It's not mm-hmm. a question of being able to answer that in a specific hiring situation of a person. We've got to get the analytics to understand what is happening over time, you know, with multiple hires. Now, I think that, you know, in terms of working with cool stuff, 
uh, vis-a-vis salary and the and the highest salary that they could be earning. I think mm-hmm. this is about how do we integrate uh, qualitative data like employee survey data with the harder biographical data and also with business data. I think that, you know, too much of the workforce analytics is too siloed around biographical data, age, tenure, turnover, mm-hmm. etc. I personally find that some of the most predictive information we can find is when we integrate the qualitative survey data with uh, biographical data. So, for example, we worked with a major global telecommunication company um, a couple of years ago, and this company had relatively low labor turnover for the industry. It was averaging about 7%. But we analysed the... I'm not interested in aggregate turnover, but we analysed the turnover of high performers by engagement score through their employee survey. We found that high performers who had high rational engagement, the like their conditions and salary and benefits, had almost half the average voluntary termination rate of the total company. It was around about 3%. But high performers who had high emotional engagement, they like their work, they like their peer group, they like their manager and the company. To me, that's one of your absolute you know, most critical cream job groups to keep in the organisation, they were averaging 16% voluntary termination rate, more than double the average, yet no one in the company had any idea. And, you know, when we did further research, we found that while they were emotionally engaged, there were simply not enough career opportunities to keep these high performers. So, you know, one of my concerns in organisations is that the and HR communities live in blissful ignorance. You know, we just don't know what we don't know mm-hmm. about our workforce. Yes, and what, what about, I have a, you know, I was just going to ask you, throw this out and you don't have to answer it now, but I'm wondering about how many employees really answer those internal surveys truthfully, or are they thinking somebody's looking over their shoulder and will know who they are? Who was just going to speak? Please go ahead. It was Josh. I was, yeah, I, I think Hi, this whole issue of, of, you know, paying people more money to get them to stay longer, mm-hmm. it's really, with the exception of investment bankers and maybe salespeople, most, that doesn't tend to work. Um, and lots and lots of, as Peter said, there's lots of research on this. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Basically, people operate mostly on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They obviously need to make enough money, you know, to pay their mortgage and put their kids through school and buy groceries. But what really motivates people, what really creates what we what is called in the industry discretionary effort, that extra effort to work extra hard and solve customer problems, is recognition career opportunities, you know, being a match with the culture. A good example of this to me is IKEA. IKEA, which is a really incredibly successful company, hires the culture. They look for people who, you know, embrace the values of minimalism and, and environmentalism and design, and they want people that, that feel that way, that work, that, that operate that way, that that's the way they're wired. And when they find people like that, they don't have to pay them a lot of extra money. And there's an article in the New York Times, you guys probably saw it on Sunday, about Apple and how Apple underpays most of its employees. And for the most part, people are okay with that because they just want to be part of the Apple culture. And, and Apple's now That's reaching right. a point, I think, where they're, they're struggling with that. So, so it's, it's very, there's a lot of cultural issues that drive performance in organizations that you can measure and you can, um, you know, focus on during the recruiting process and during the, the whole employment process. 
Thank you, Josh. And you've successfully taken us up to our final break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. A lot of good insights if you're on the either end of the hiring spectrum. Are you hiring? Are you being hired? Listen up. My experts have a lot to say. When we come back, we'll look into the crystal ball and find out what HR analytics, talent measurement, all those good things will look like five years from today. From Peter Capelli, Peter Howes, and Josh Burson. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. To speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we go. It's time for our crystal ball segment. I'm going to ask my three guests to look ahead in the crystal ball and tell me what's coming up for the broad topic of HR analytics, talent management, measurement, you name it. Let's kick off with Josh Burson of Burson & Associates. Josh, what do you see coming down the pike? Okay, well, I'm really, I'm actually very optimistic about this. I, I think we're in a situation right now where HR over the next five to ten years is going to look very, very different than it does today, and here's why. CEOs are now waking up in the morning and saying, I can't grow my company because of my people. They're no longer looking at people as an expense. They're looking at people as a constraint or an opportunity. So they're going to HR and they're saying, they're basically asking questions 
that are going to force the HR function to become a business, a true business function and provide the business with the data about the people, about readiness, about the, op- the ability of the organization to function. And part of that means that scientists and engineers and numbers people are going to move into HR. And I, I do believe one of the things that Peter Research points out is that more and more companies are putting internal people into HR, operations mm-hmm. people, people that might have come from sales, people that might have come from finance. I mean, the CLO at Caterpillar used to be the head economist. I just talked to a company, a large pharmaceutical company, where they moved somebody out of sales to run, run the big HR functions. So I think over the next five or ten years, and frankly, this is what the, business, the bi- businesses won't survive if they don't do this because we're in a talent-constrained economy all around the world. And once CEOs wake up to that, they're going to either change out their head of HR or they're going to force the head of HR to hire people that know how to do this. So I think it's going to take a while, but I think we're in an an era of analytics becoming a a very major, um, you know, competency of the HR function. Josh, would that mean that people who are coming through what I'll call university courses at HR that was mentioned earlier in someone's quote uh, in the next five to ten years don't stand a prayer of getting hired at a higher HR level or at a responsible level because the trend will be to hire from internally from another area no, who already knows no, the not, culture? No, there's still, there's still a huge amount of domain expertise in HR, it's still a very complicated function and there's still a lot Mm -hmm. to learn. So I think there still will be a need for HR experts and training and OD people, but they're going to have to learn new skills in school. And when they hit the workforce, if they don't understand how to analyze data and and do a little bit of this science, they're not going to be very effective. So I think the universities are going to have to adjust as well in in the way the HR profession is developed. And I have one more quick question. I want you to give advice to anybody who's looking to enter the HR field. Would they dare or should they say, wait a minute, should they say, I love people? That's my question. Does that still work? Yes, I think that's still the core of it, but you have okay. to be able to think like a business person. And it's a great time to join the profession, by the way. It's a, it's a fast-growing profession. Thank you. And I'm ready for Peter House. Your prediction, 2017, what do you see in the crystal ball, Peter House? Well, Bonnie, this is a combination of a prediction and an aspiration, okay? One of the things that I predict that we're going to see much more of over the next three to five years is the automation of prepackaged analytics where we link workforce data with business data and where we can be using the, the workforce data to predict the impact on business performance and having this as automated rather than as a major consulting project. Um, I've always been influenced by an article written in the Harvard Business Review 14 years ago in 1998 on the Sears um, retail company uh, on the service profit chain where they were able to quantify the impact that improvement in employee attitude, employee profile had on customer satisfaction and revenue growth. But that was a major project that took six months to do. My crystal ball and aspiration is that we can do the advanced statistical integration of business data and workforce data. We can use statistical techniques like structural equation modeling out of the box uh, and not having to invest large amounts of time in projects to 
find that relationship. So I, I want to see the HR community move beyond the current um, paradigm of measures and aggregate reporting into really integrating with business data and, and being able to quantify how variations in the workforce profile, workforce demographics impacts business performance, be that revenue growth, be that profit margins, be that units of production. Thank you very much, Peter Haas. And Professor Capelli, why don't you look into the crystal ball as well and tell us what you see going forward, please. Yeah, I guess I'm not as optimistic as, as Josh. Uh, I think, you know, there's an enormous amount of inertia in fields. The people who are running things um, now in organizations, um, you know, have a lot of gatekeeping power. And so I guess the question is, will somebody at the CEO or CFO level make the HR folks operate differently? Uh, and that's a pretty tough road uh, to to uh, go down. I think I, I a couple of weeks ago was with a group of about 30 CEOs from Silicon Valley companies, and I asked them, you know, some of these questions like, "Do do you think you have any idea in your organization um, how much it costs to not fill vacancies?" You know, and mm-hmm. and they had no idea, and uh, I think they were. Uh, kind of persuaded that uh, you know it's maybe hard to do or something. Uh, so the the bet we'd be making is that these guys will suddenly lean on the HR folks enough to make them start doing it, uh, and then that it will become enough of a common issue that it will be something that the whole function uh, adopts. Um, and that they'll change the way they operate uh, in order to be able to do this um, and start hiring more people who have those skills. I can tell you uh, here at Wharton, every year we have, believe it or not, a few people after the MBA program who want to go into HR uh, areas, and uh, they find it very difficult to get hired. And Mm. the reason they find it difficult to get hired is because the HR folks uh, don't really want them. Um, they first they don't want to pay them uh, what it takes to get an MBA, and they don't want to give them enough stuff to do to make the jobs interesting. So uh, I think it's going to be a big push. I guess I am more sympathetic to Peter's view that maybe the vendors will be able to crack this for them. That if we uh, offer it to the HR folks in a kind of prepackaged way, where it says. All you have to do is push a button. Somebody else will do all this for you. Um, that maybe it's more likely that'll happen. But certainly, I remember talking to the vendors about this stuff and um, uh, a, a couple of years ago, and they thought the market was just not there yet. Um, they they knew how to do it. They could make it happen. I think if they thought the customers were willing to buy, but they didn't think they were willing to buy. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem, I think, right now. Thank you, Peter. We are out of time. I have a couple of predictions to do of my own. I'm going to predict that next week on Wednesday is July 4th, U.S. holiday, so we'll be running a recent popular archive show, but we'll be back on July 11th with Risky Business Time for Governance. What kind of risk are you managing here on Coffee Break? And in the cloud with Game Changers is our sister show Thursdays. Tomorrow we'll be talking about Shop the Cloud, Enterprise App Store. Great topic, talking about the the, uh, paradigm that Apple started and how we're buying our business apps in the cloud and Thursday July 12th on coffee break on I'm sorry in the cloud game changers the social enterprise new collaborative business culture in the cloud thank you to Patricia Harris Joan Sherlock Malcolm Kimberlin Margot Heiligman thank you for tweeting for us today and 
the Business Channel team, and thank you to my very special guests, Josh Burson, Peter House, Peter Capelli. You've all been terrific, and thanks for sharing your insights and your knowledge. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great day, and we'll see you in two weeks right here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.